You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this week we continue our limited series, The Check-In, with our guest from episode 36, Samuel Pierre. Sam is the managing director of SMP Global Consultants and the senior campaign advisor and campaign manager to elect Robert E. Carnegie Jr. for Brooklyn Borough President. We all know the last year was not just shaped by a global pandemic. It also brought social justice and politics into sharp focus. During our catch-up, Sam details how the former brought new clients to his consulting firm and why he continues to give his time and attention to the latter despite having seen the dark side of the political scene. But that's not all. Like many others, Sam has experienced a lot of loss in the past 12 months. So in between all of the work, he has made sure to create space for both vulnerability and self-care. Now, without further ado, Please enjoy. Sam, welcome back to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Delisha, thank you for having me back. I mean, I've, I've seen how much the podcast has grown since mine. Like nobody cares about my little uh, interview anymore. You got heavy hitters now. So it feels good to be back. But you know, people, they find the show from like a later episode, but then they go back and they start from episode one and work nice. their way up. So you'd be surprised. People really, nice. they go back to the archives for sure. Nice. So I looked it up. I got to check my notes here. Oh, episode boy, 36. Episode 36. It's it's hard to believe that it was that long ago that we spoke, but it was. Ah, yeah, that's good. I mean, look, you have the stamina. Like, podcasts and I know communications is a stamina business. So the fact that you're still doing it, it's still strong, that's huge. And a big applause to you and the team because I know that's very hard. So I'm excited you know, for you guys. People really have no idea like what it takes right, like right. people always oh. say to me like oh how do you feel when somebody comes to you and they say oh i'm gonna start a podcast um, first of all i believe in the law of universal supply so i'm mm-hmm. super supportive there's there's enough out here for all of us to get it mm-hmm. um, but i also know like the number of people who are going to start a podcast and actually mm-hmm. stick with it oh, is really man. small because it, it is a grind it's a and to do it it's well a, it's a grind it's a grind it's a grind so i applaud you and your team um, and you're a most amazing producer, I think, and producers. I think that's huge. Um, and, and it's the same thing with nonprofits. Everybody wants to start a charity until they, they realize what it takes to, to, to get a charity off the ground. So I'm really excited about what you guys are doing. Well, we appreciate all the support over the last couple of years. Um, and I'm excited to hear what's been going on with you. For those who don't know, we're doing these check-ins to really talk about not only what people have been up to since they appeared on the show, but also particularly what the last year has been like for, for them as we've been in this pandemic. So tell me how your life has evolved since, you know, we talked to you in 2018. Wow. It was that long? Man. That long. So much has changed since 2018. So, um, and so a lot, first, first and foremost, um, you know, COVID came and killed my musician staffing company. So my, you know, one of my businesses tanked, um, but, but it allowed me the opportunity to, uh, focus more on uh, my nonprofit and some of the, you know, and expanding our international work. So I've been doing a lot about uh, with that. And um, COVID and the social justice movement caused my consulting business to actually pick up and do more because so many um, corporations and banks and companies were looking for 
um, you know, supplier diversity and inclusion um, experts and people to really come and help them identify ways to um, divest um, and, and, and reinvest into, you know, communities of color. So I've been spending a lot of time, you know, on, on those both fronts. And of course, politics is in my blood. I can't get rid of it. So I'm also uh, managing a uh, borough-wide campaign uh, for a Brooklyn Borough President as well, as well right now. So those are the top three things that I'm doing right now. Of course, I'm a son and a brother and a Uber driver for my mom on the side and all that other good stuff. But, you know, those are the top three things that, have, that, that, that I got going right now. Um, and since 2018, um, you know, a lot has changed, but the mission is always staying the same. So tell me how that social justice movement really kind of blew your business wide open in a good way. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think last year, and you know, when when the world was able to see the injustices for different the, the lack of justice for certain communities, so many people wanted to help and they wanted to uh, participate and figure out how can they participate. And so they needed organizations and firms to be able to come and, and guide them and, and give them the, the, the steps on what they should do. Uh, I was able to position myself and my firm to be able to have those kind of conversations uh, with elected officials and community leaders and industry leaders and to really be able to um, develop a strategic plan for them where it wasn't just uh, one hit a quitter. I'm going to write a check for $100,000 to the local YMCA and then whatever they do with that it is what it is uh, to a long-term sustainability model where in the next five to 10 to 15 years, we can create incubators or we can create um, we can create projects that can employ hundreds of people or we can create, you know, uh, financial institutions or or community development financial institutions, nonprofit banks that can lend money to small business owners over a long period of time. Right. So you have a, corp- a company like Charter Communications or a Target that will uh, gift 10 million dollars right over two years. So five million dollars a year to a nonprofit bank where uh, that nonprofit bank can lend, you know, they can lend up to $150,000 capped at a 2% interest rate, right? Which is almost like nothing to small businesses over the course of the five and 10 years. But you need a, you need a consultant or compliance officers there to ensure that those things are happening. So um, my, my consulting company was able to pick up a contract like that, where we're helping a, uh, a nonprofit bank figure out where they should be investing all this grant money they received due to social, the social justice movement. Before that, they didn't get those pledges. They didn't have those funding. So how do we how do we get the ten million? We heard people, you know, Bank of America said they're giving you know um, you know a hundred million dollars, and we hear we heard all this money that's being pledged, but where is it going? Is it reaching where it needs to reach? Are communities of color benefiting? Do they know what to do? Right? Like you had a lot of businesses who who got EIDL loans, which is the emergency disaster. Um, loan, right? Um, to, are they doing the right thing with the money? Are they investing into their business? Are they setting up their payroll system so that they can report it back because the IRS is going to ask, right? You know, um, yes, they're giving you a runway 24 months, you don't have to pay it back. But what are you doing in between that runway of your first payment, right? So my firm uh, was able to partner with um, another firm as well, to come and to kind of combine our our expertise to be able to tackle more people uh, do, because of COVID. So I, I'm excited. Like I said, it's the same mission, right? But it, it's just a new opportunity and being able to pivot 
um, and finding, you know, finding that sweet spot and, and being being able to uh, dominate that space. So as you mentioned, we've heard these major announcements about pledging the money, either over a period of years or a fund where a significant amount was dumped in up front. But one of the criticisms of sort of this, this change or this awakening that a lot of companies have had is that they're willing to write checks, but DEI internally, so their hiring practices are not changing as substantively or as quickly as they should. In your experience, you think that's accurate, that there's a lot of money now flowing, but actually diversity hiring is still stunted. Oh, 100%, 100%, right? Like when you go into like, I was, I was recently, I was on Jeff's, um, I get, what is it a, a, a video podcast or whatever? Am I old? Am I saying it wrong or whatever? Vlog or Just blog, a podcast with video. We can call it a that. A podcast with video, right? And I was talking about, you know, I was talking about people who are serious about, you know, helping the Black community, you know? And, you know, it's, we have to look at it from both lenses. And I think many a time, it's hard to understand a problem. It's hard to fix a problem unless you un- really understand the problem, right? So on the surface, it's like, oh, not enough companies are, you know, hiring Black people and putting Black people in the C-suites and X, Y, and Z. But when you really start to talk to these executives, right, when you really start talking to them, you start to realize that they don't know Black people. <laughs> like, literally, like, and I was just saying that, like, like, and, and I'm not giving them a pass, but I just, I, I just, I want to deal with the reality of the situation. You hire in business, you do business and you work with people you like. Period, point blank. And I think that, I think going back to the education, we have to start educating future entrepreneurs and young business owners about what, 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 what the reality of the industry is, right? I teach entrepreneurship at St. Francis College and I tell my students, people do business with people they like. So everybody that's in this classroom with you, 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 sh- you, you need to really get to know them because that can make or break a situation, right? And it's the same with us, you know? Delisha's not gonna do a $100 million deal with a complete stranger, unless it's really worth her while. She would much rather do it with a colleague, a friend of a colleague, a referral, some kind of relationship that guarantees her at the end of the day, she's not going to get screwed. And she may end up getting screwed anyway, right? But for her, she she feels more comfortable, right, doing a big deal like that with some level of familiarity, whether it was her sisters, brothers, cousins, best friend that worked in, some level of familiarity, you're going to want to have that. And that is the reality of, in, of the business industry. So when I'm thinking of who am I going to hire and give $350,000 a year to, $500,000, I'm going to give $500,000 of my hard-earned company's money to a human being to manage 65 people that's going to have my best interest at, at heart, that no matter what happens, to me, I know that they're going to work their hardest. Chances are I would prefer to give it to Delisha Grant than Amy Schwartz or whatever, right? Because I know Delisha Grant. There's a relationship there. I know at the end of the day, even if me and Delisha can fight at the end of the day, she has the same ethical morality that I do, right? We, we, she has the same mentality as me. When you go talk to these CEOs, ask, say, say to them, all right, name Give me six people in your network that you that you that don't look like you that you would feel comfortable putting in that position. They cannot do that. So, what needs to happen is it has to be a. And this I tell people this, this is a very unpopular uh, position, 
you know, uh, none of the organizations that I'm affiliated with, <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they, this is a San Pierre position. What needs to happen is people in power need to transfer wealth to individuals and allow them to do it, allow them to fail, allow them to blow the money and then reinvest again. That's how we're going to solve this, this, this problem. You know what, Denisha? Don't come work for me. Start your own company. Here's $100 million. You hire black people. And guess what? When you blow through that $100 million, I'm still not going to let your company fail. Come back to me for another $100 Because guess what? You now have learned how to not fail. You learn how to fail. So with, my, with the next round of money I give you, you'll learn how not to fail. And then you'll be successful. But it's not up to me as a white man to fix the, the, that problem for you. It's not. It's up to me as a white man who, who ha I have the resources because I stole it from you and your, your, uh, your ancestors, right? So now that I, I recognize, not me, not me personally, but my forefathers stole from your forefathers, so I have access. So now I can invest into you, Delisa, and you go fix your own problem. Don't depend on me. I don't know black people. Where I know black people from? I, when I go to the shooting range, I don't, I don't see no black people. When I go golfing, I don't see no black people. When I go to the grocery store, I don't see no black people. Ain't no black people in my church. Ain't no black people when I'm driving race cars with uh, um, Ferraris. Ain't no black people there. <laughs> so where the hell am I going to find these black people to fix the black problem? No, I, I don't want to fix the black problem. I'll give you $100 million. You're going to fix your own black problem. And when you fail, come back to me again because I failed. Oops. But I had grandpa. Grandpa kept feeding me money, which is why I'm successful now. Nobody wants to hear this message. It's very unpopular. You know what I mean? But it's the truth and it's the reality. So that's what I think. But, you know, you know, as you were talking, you really brought up the point I was going to make about the person now with the money having failed and had an opportunity to re-up because somebody else gave them money. And if you spend any time talking to VC guys, serial investors, they will tell you. I I've sat across and broke bread with these people. They will tell you, yeah, you know, I I've, I've got an equity stake in dozens of companies. Most of them failed. I can't even tell you what happened. I don't even know where my stock certificates are. Like nothing came of them. But I have this these couple that are they're making some progress. They're making headway. So I'm dumping money and I'm continuing to invest. I'm re-upping in the next series because I believe it can make it work. We can make it work. But the reality of it is it's very rare that folks go into these deals thinking that somebody or an idea is a, is a sure bet or it's a sure thing. You go in rolling the dice. The problem that we have is a, when we do get VC funding, it's at a way lower rate than our counterparts, like much, much less money, but also this, this idea of implicit bias, which is happening in which they don't believe that we can be successful as founders. They just don't. Right. So they, they can look at somebody that they know or who looks like them and say, not positive. This is going to work, but I'm willing to take a chance. What I'm finding is that investors get much tighter with their money when the person across the table from them looks like us, then it's like, is this really going to work? Right. There's no, well, if you fail, just come back and we'll try it again. Like we'll just keep trying until something sticks. So, I mean, do you think that'll be, that's something we'll see in our lifetime though? I mean, the numbers are creeping up a little bit with regard to VC funding coming to us. We're talking about like from 1% to 1.5% or whatever. It's not happening at a, it's not moving at a clip. Do you think we're going to see radical change with regard to investing into black founders. No, 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 we'll never see radical change. 
we'll never see a radical change, but we will see a change, right? Because people are going to start to adopt this model, right? So the, the mere fact that a corporation would be willing to invest $100 million into a nonprofit bank, right? The, the definition of a nonprofit bank is an oxymoron, right? Mm -hmm. A nonprofit bank is I'm giving out free money, right? No nonprofit bank expects to make a return, right? If a nonprofit bank gives Delisha Grant $100,000, they don't expect for her to pay it back. <laughs> they don't. It's not, there's no expectation. That is a grant because the, the bank didn't, the, they, the bank wasn't given that money to make a profit. The bank was given that money so that they can invest it into a, a fund or a small business with the intent that, hey, there's a 75% there's a chance that I'm not getting this money back. And it's fine because I was given this money for free anyway, which is why they can afford to only charge Delisa 1.1% on $100,000, right? So the idea of larger corporations investing money into nonprofit banks and these nonprofit banks can now invest $100,000, $300,000 at a 1.5 to 2.53% interest rate, that is already a change, right? That's a change because that wasn't happening, right? Uh, but radical, uh, uh, you know, a radical change where, where VC funds are going to be like, you know what? You know, we made $500 million last year. Ah, let's just give away $250 million of it into, to black founders. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And the, I want to be very clear as to why. It's not because they don't want to, right? It's because that is not the definition of business. Business is, is, is all about competition. You're trying to crush your competitor. You want to produce a product that's better than the next person, right? So me giving my competitor $250 million goes against the very foundation of business. I want to be better. My the Lakers want to be better than the Clippers, even though they share the same building. <laughs> they share the same building, but I, I still want to be better than the Clippers. If I'm the Lakers and the Clippers still want to be better, even though they, sh they share the revenue, they share the revenue, but at the end of the day, the Lakers want to beat the Clippers, period, point blank. So, if, so we have to change our expectation, right? So our competitors, if, our, if your competitor is giving you money, you have to think, well, why is my competitor right? Is, uh, is my competitor really helping me? No, my competitor is not helping. The mere fact that they're handing you out, it, it's no longer a competitor. It's, you're no longer competing at the same level. You are now a charity case, right? And I think if we understand that concept mentally, right, then we'll start to, then things will start to change. Like, oh, okay, I need to find that same amount of money somewhere else. So if I'm going to start something or a business and I want to scale, maybe I need to look at where I'm getting my money. Maybe I'm not getting it from a VC, right? Maybe I'm going to get it from a, a multimillionaire that looks like me. Maybe I'm going to a nonprofit bank. Maybe I'm going to get the, those, the startup capital from people who aren't interested in crushing me. So, Which I think, that's, I think that is happening. I think what is, is a, a huge obstacle, though, is it's, it's very hard to get all the money from one source. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So it's, it's, it's almost like crowdfunding in, in a different right. way. Right. But you've got to get small amounts from a lot of different people and what it takes to do that. I think it's really intimidating and overwhelming to a lot of people where it feels like 100%. this is impossible. A hundred percent. I think that, I think there's an attitude that you have to adapt as a seasoned entrepreneur, right? When you're a new entrepreneur, like you're bright eyed, you're bushy tailed, you're excited, you're ready to go. 
um, the energy is there. I think as, as you become seasoned in this business, I think there's a, there's a attitude that I think you have to take a posture of, listen, right. I, I am entitled, right. If I was able to survive five years in business, I'm entitled to certain um, benefits, right? And somebody might be watching this and, and say, whoa, 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 what is Sam talking about? Our counterparts, they come in with that level of entitlement, right? Absolutely. They come in with that. We come in like, okay, I want to, I'm going to get a website and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get my business cards and no, 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 no. Our counterparts come in like I'm starting a business and I'm hiring your people. Uncle Sam, you need to give me a tax break. You need to cut me a check. Like when you think, when you listen, like one of the things I love, I love to watch corporations go go before Congress. I love it. <laughs> Hundred million dollar, billion dollar corporations are going to Congress to beg them either for, uh, uh, either to, you know, for, for them to, to cut the regulations, right? Cut the regulations or begging them for funding. And I love listening to a CEO of a multi-billion dollar company talk about, I can't afford to, I can't afford to stay alive. If you keep these regulations going, <laughs> you're gonna kill my business. Multi-billion dollar company. He has no shame or she has no shame coming to Congress to say, if you don't deregulate this business, I'm gonna go out of business. No shame. They took a private jet to fly to DC. They're staying at a five-star hotel, okay? <laughs> To walk into the chamber of Congress to beg the members of Congress to add an additional four to five billion dollars to keep their industries alive. But us as entrepreneurs, we're too shy. Oh my God, I don't want to. Oh my God, I don't want to be entitled. I don't want to take an entitlement. I'm not entitled to this money. Yes, you are, beloved. You over here giving people jobs. You're, you're, you're stimulating the economy. You're paying taxes. If you made it to year five, you are entitled to certain things. You're entitled to have an extra business line of credit. You're entitled to be connected with a business mentor that can give you the resources that you need. You're entitled to tax breaks. You're entitled to so many things. And I think, I think to answer that question is that business owners need to, that, those that, that are proven, right? You've made it to year five, right? You have a few tax returns, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you made it. The first two years was a loss. We get it. But year three, you you know what I'm saying? Using the black. You are entitled to all of the resources that all of these other business owners have as well. So do you think it's and a I think lack once of you education? Take that perspective, I used to think that, Lisa. I used to think that, but that's not it anymore. I, I can't blame. I'm never going to blame. I will never blame my people for where they are because they didn't ask to be here. Mm -hmm. we, we didn't ask to come to this country. We never asked to be here. We were brought here. So I can never blame us for our own situation. And people who do that, I get really upset about that. Nobody asked to come here. Everybody was comfortable. We was comfortable in our islands. We was comfortable in our, you know, in Africa. We did not ask to come here. Now that we're here and we have to figure it out and we are behind, right? A hundred years behind, the, the federal government has to put things in place to help businesses survive, right? And I think, like I said, I think it's a mentality, right? So my new mentality now is, I have employees. I am stimulating your economy, Uncle Sam. You need to help me. So small business grants that are going to be forgivable, like send me 60 grand and then tell me if I hire three people, you're going to make that loan go away, right? 
partner my firm with a larger firm and tell that larger firm, hey, if you do a mentorship program, we'll give you some uh, um, breaks, right? Have that larger firm tell me, hey, Sam, you can use my office. 5,000 square feet of space is yours, right? You can use my payroll um, um, systems. You can use my HR director if you need. We need to grow you, right? That's no longer a dream of mine or that's no longer a, oh, I wish. Oh, my God. No, I need this. This is what I need, okay? Because if that company is growing, then I'm growing too. So I think it's a posture. And to, to answer your question, how do people find that out? People like Delisha Grant, Samuel Pierre, right? And others who have experienced this, who've been in the rooms, who've negotiated big deals. We have to be the ones to come back in um, and come on podcasts like this and say to the people, listen, if you've been in business for 5, 10, 15 years, you're eligible for certain things. You should be invited to certain rooms. You should be, you know, your business should be well capitalized. You can't do anything for anybody if you're not capitalized. Right. So let's get you capitalized, right? All right, I know somebody who retired and they got a few hundred thousand dollars in the bank that's, that's, that they're not getting any money on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce you to him so that that person can, um, so that that person can invest. And I'm going to push them to do it. Hey, put $25,000 in this business. It's a good idea. I'm going to help walk you across the, uh, across the finish line, right? That's true. When people tell me, oh, I, I help small businesses and I'm all about helping the small business and social justice movement. How many small businesses have you taken across the $100,000, the six-figure mark in the last year, personally? Uh, well, uh, 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 yeah. No, right? How many small businesses have you, have you, you know, helped them set up a website or, Help them get space. How many, right? Or how many small businesses have you referred an accountant, a CPA to, an attorney, right? How many small businesses have you done that in the last year? How many small businesses have you said, you know what? I know you had a hard year last year. I'll take care. Here's my CPA. Tell them to forward the bill to me. I'll handle your bill. Because I know you can't afford whatever bill that CPA about to give you. I know you can't afford it, but you need your taxes done in order for you to get the EIDL or the PPP loan. Mm -hmm. So it's a chicken and an egg. You can't get the PPP loan and the EIDL because you didn't do your taxes. You're not doing your taxes because you don't have the money to pay the CPA to do your taxes. So you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to pay the CPA. You get the EIDL loan. If you can, you'll pay me back. If not, keep it going. Hire somebody else because I want to stimulate the economy. These are the conversations that people are having. You know, what's interesting is I've had people call me in the last year and they're like, I can't get the, I, I tried, I filled out the paperwork, I'm getting rejected, I can't get the EIDL, whatever. And then I'm like, hold on, right? And then I'm calling my accountant and I'm saying, I talked to this person, they're in business, for whatever reason, they're not getting the money. And immediately she's like, have them call me because they're not filling the paperwork out correct. There's no reason why. They, they should have been denied. And what I find often, and I understand it, right, is that often Black and Brown folks, we go into it excited about the opportunity, but we may already be overwhelmed. We don't know how to fill out the paperwork or we get an initial no, right? And that's just not about what's happening now, but that could be, to your earlier point, the grants, the loans, and we don't know how to fight it. And those who have the knowledge, often there is no gap. That There's, there's no one to bridge that gap. And I think it's, it's really crucial what you said, that those who are really living in both worlds and, and really have a direct line of communication with those with the knowledge and the resources and the assets 
can really make the connection to those who don't have it. That That is incredibly important. And I feel like more and more of us are doing it, but we still have a long way to go. Of, sh- of information 100%. sharing and sewing into other people where we can. A hundred percent. And I have a new thing now where it's like, I got to do it now. Cause I, you know, I'm the king of, yeah, Delisha, call me off on, on Tuesday and I'll connect you with Tuesday ain't mine. My mother used to always say, like, whenever I would say, um, I'll do it on Tuesday, she would always say, God willing. She would always correct me, God willing, because Tuesday ain't yours. You don't know what's going to happen Tuesday. And every time there's a delay, you don't understand how many mouths are not being fed by your delays. You and we've all been Tuesday, there. Yeah, you woke up on Tuesday, you had a headache. You didn't feel like going to work, right? Not knowing that the person that you're supposed to help, they, they, haven't, they haven't been able to process their payroll in weeks. In weeks, families are not being fed. So it's like, now it's like, let me take the five minutes and connect you via text. Like I used to be so big on, oh, I have to do an email and it because I wanted to forget that. Forget all that. Yo, let me put you and Demarcus on the line, right? Let me connect you with my, my boy Demarcus right now on text. Hey, Matt, can you can you help this person X, Y, and Z? They don't have a crazy budget, but X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z, done. It's it's finished. You know, uh, it's not as complicated as we people make it seem. You don't need a business degree, you know, from Harvard to connect two people or to share information or, or to make, you know, or make, to make connections happen. So I think, you know, it's about breaking it down and making it very simple so people can realize that you can really be helpful and you can really change, change your community's trajectory just by taking the time to really help. Absolutely. And shifting gears a little bit, I know you mentioned working on a campaign. I know that if anybody understands how ugly politics can be, it's you. Yay! So what keeps pulling you back in? You know what it is, honestly, Delisha? It's the, uh, it's the fact, it's the understanding. I have a, I always say, uh, you know, God, I always yell at God, like, why did you make me, why did you make me see, right? Why did you take the blindfolds off, right? Like, when I see people walking around, everyone's walking around with blindfolds, or, or rather, the garters, right? The horse garters, right? Like, politics runs the world. If politics didn't run the world, nobody would have cared when Donald Trump became president because like, who cares? It's politics, right? Oh, I'm not into politics. I love when people say that. Oh, I'm not into politics, right? Oh, yeah? You're not into politics except for the fact that policies impact everything that you do. Healthcare, education, business. All three are impacted by politics. So guess what? In America, you got to have healthcare now. If you don't have healthcare, you get a penalty. How did that happen? Right. Skinny guy from Chicago, Illinois, created this thing called Obamacare, where now he wants everyone to have health health insurance. Right. Education. No. If you have everyone has student loans and they kind of sort of wanted to magically disappear. Right. Why isn't business making everyone's student loans disappear? Oh, because business can't. What is the only industry that could actually make our student loans disappear? Hmm. Oh, the federal government politics, right? Business. Okay. I want to be able to make 7%, 8%, 9%, 20% returns on all of my investments, right? Oh, okay. There's regulators that cap. They cap how much um, um, returns a bank could give. They cap how much returns Wall Street can do. They cap all these things. Why is a, a non-business entity controlling a business entity, right? Where do they get that power from? government and politics. So politics runs everything. I don't care who you are. Anyone can come to me and talk to me and tell me whatever industry that they are. 
I will find a regulator that's regulating the industry. So imagine me wanting to be a leader or a titan in my industry and not participating in politics. It doesn't make sense, right? So if I'm serious about creating opportunities for African-Americans in America, I cannot be serious about that without understanding who are the players that control how African-Americans receive their wealth. So yes, I can start the Samuel M. Pierre Bank tomorrow, right? And I can say, you know what? At my bank, I'm not charging anybody any fees. I can do that. Hey, come open a bank account at SMP Bank. We don't charge you any fees. We'll hold your money. God is going to uh, make sure that we, we, we're sustained, right? Okay, great. Man of faith, faith and works put together. Love it. Except for the fact that the FDIC is going to come and knock on my door. And the FDIC is going to say, well, if you want to be operational, if you want to be a bank, you have to pay these fees to us every month. How are you going to pay them, sir? How? Oh, and by the way, do you plan on doing mortgages? You plan on giving mortgages? Do you plan on giving credit cards? Well, if you plan on giving mortgages and credit cards, here is the fee that you have to pay us <laughs> just so we can let you, Mr. We All You Want to Save the World Bank, operate. Who regulates the FDIC, right? The government. So mm -hmm. how am I, even if I wanted to run, even if I wanted to do a, a, a freaking food cart and I want to give free food, Delisha, free. I just want to give free food and help the world. Everybody come eat free food. Oh, Department of Health comes by. Hey, buddy, uh, do you have water? How do you? How are you washing your hands with all this free food you're giving on the street, buddy? Oh, okay. Do you have a permit? Because you're going to need one of those. I just wanted to get food. I just wanted to get food to everybody. <laughs> oh, okay, I got to deal with Department of Health. Oh, I have to get a permit, right? They have to look at the, how am I heating up the food? Is it an oil tank? Like, what is it? Is it combustible? Is it flammable? Is it giving off gases? Right. Oh, the Department of Environmental Protection is involved now. Right. Oh, looks like you can't be here. Oh, how long have you been on here? This property belongs to New York City, Department of Transportation. So the Department of Transportation needs to cut the street up. You can't be here, sir. So now so now it's like, oh, shoot, I have to even if my heart wanted to just give people things away, I have to be involved in politics. It's not going to work if I'm not involved. So if I want to effectively help people, I have to find out who are the people who are in power. I have to find out how can I partner with them so that the process can be smooth, right? So that my people can actually get the help that they need. So that was a long way, right? I took the long way around, right? Just to say, I have to be involved. Like no matter what, no matter how sick of it I get, no, no matter how annoying it is, <laughs> I have to be involved because I won't be true to my purpose in life, my life's mission right, which is to help African-Americans in this country gain wealth so they can be self-sustainable. I don't, I, I don't want to help Black people get rich so they could buy uh, more fancy cars and wear bigger chains. I want to help Black people get rich and, have, and be wealthy in this country so that they can be self-sustainable, so that they can operate for themselves and they, can, and they can pass this wealth down generation to generation so generations after us don't have to work as hard as we did, right, to live. That's what I want to do. So there's no way I'm not talking to people about policy if that's true. If I'm if I'm serious about what I want to do and I'm not talking to any member of Congress about a policy that can help the next generation, I'm not serious. So, so what keeps you, though, forging ahead 
when you're when you're in the the thick of it, right? Because it's one thing to have passion about this stuff, and it's one thing to really be in the boxing ring fighting for what you believe in and working with these candidates to really push an agenda that you believe in. So, especially with what we've experienced in this past year with a lot of external stressors that we didn't expect, which I'll talk to you a little bit in a moment, but what keeps you really pushing when you're in, in the thick of it? So it's the small wins. It's definitely the small wins. Today, I literally cut a ribbon to uh, for a um, 100% affordable senior housing residence in the Haitian community. First time ever, right? Uh, 89 units, all for seniors. Uh, this project took 18 years to happen. Mm. 18 years to do an 89-unit property, that's, that's ridiculous, right? But cutting that ribbon today made me realize, yes, it took 18 years, and yes, we had to fight, and yes, it was a back and forth, X, Y, and Z, but it's a win. A win is a win is a win. And it's the little wins like that, that and the fact that I can I can drive by now and see that building and see the name of the, the, the Haitian pastor that came to America in the 60s, late 60s, right? And now he has a building with him and his wife's name on it where, where he's now providing 100% affordable housing to seniors in, in Brooklyn, New York. That is my motivator. So when I want to, when I want to, when, when I'm, when I'm like, you know what, forget this thing, right? Or I can't deal with so-and-so on the other aisle or X, Y, and Z. I now can drive over there and just sit there and watch the seniors come in and out. They have no clue what it took for that building to, to erupt, erect. They have no idea. They, they just live there now. And for me to be able to watch them and know that these seniors have a place to live where there's a senior center downstairs, there's a rooftop deck so they can get air. It's brand new, so it's that nice brand new, you know, housing smell, right? They got brand new stoves. They got brand new kitchens. Like, that's the thing that motivates me because that's really who this is for. And even though that senior that walked out of the building, Delisha will never know it was I was a part of the team that put that together. They'll never know it. But the fact that I know that, wow, I can impact, right, 89 people who I don't even know, that's the little wins that help me go keep going every day. So now if I'm doing a, you know, a innovation, a energy and innovation center that I know it's going to take me 20 years to build, right? Um, I can now, I can now keep, keep going and keep fighting knowing that I'm going to get my energy and innovation center off the ground because we were able to get this senior, this senior affordable housing project off the ground. So... We talked a bit about what you've had to go through, right? In terms of like the positives that that have happened with regard to mm-hmm. the last year. But I know that you've suffered a lot of loss in the last 12 months, right? Um, and we actually know somebody in, in common that the community just lost, Midwin Charles. And Midwin was, although we had lost touch in you know recent years, was instrumental in my early journey of just trying to figure out how to navigate as a Black female lawyer in New York mm-hmm. City. Uh, we all know that she recently passed away. So how have you been coping with the loss and the loss of people that you are close to and have, have maintained personal relationships with? How have you gone through that grieving process while also trying to progress in these other areas, namely business and politics? Delisha, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. Um, I'm not doing it well at all. Um, I just lost uh, one of my musicians uh, this week. Mm. You know, so that's four losses in the last three weeks for me. And, um, you know, I'm finally at a place where I'm like, okay, I can't, nah, I can't, this is too much. Right. Um, and I, you know, I grieve very differently. So I'm not a crier or I'm not a like, 
the problem with my grieving, and I, and I can say this publicly, uh, is that the way I grieve is I'm, I have, I need to be around people. Uh, and the, the unfortunate part, what I've learned, my therapist is helping me with, is that I have to disconnect my relationship, my, my relationship with my grieving um, experience is very connected to unhealthy eating and drinking, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So I have to find a way to disconnect the two. Divorce my grieving and coping mechanism means, all right, let's go hang out, guys. I need people around me and, you know, bring br- bring out, you know, bring out a picture. You know what I mean? Like wings for everybody, pictures, right? Because I was just doing well, you know, was on a Peloton, had a regiment. I was good. And then, boom, I get the news. So-and-so dies, exercise regiment out the window, get me a pound cake, somebody quick, right? Uh, so, so, so personally, you know, um, it's been really hard, but I also have to realize that, you know, identifying the problem first. Okay. We get it. Whenever, if you see Sam, put, if you see Sam looking a little chunky, something's going on, <laughs> something's going on. Okay. So we identify that. How do we find other ways, right? Maybe it is, maybe the Peloton is not what I need to run from. Maybe that's where I actually need to go. I need to replace the lasagna with the Peloton, right? Which is difficult because the lasagna makes you feel really good at the moment because I don't feel good the next morning. I don't, I actually don't. So, <laughs> but you know, so figuring out how do we, how this is me personally, figuring out how do I, you know, trade ways that I cope uh, for things that can help me in the future. You know, there's no real way, like it's not going to just go away. Like, you know, Midwin was HAC's first lawyer, my nonprofit's first lawyer, right? She was my first attorney. She was the one that helped me with the paperwork. She was the one that did a lot. Like, like all my women's programs that we started was she was the, the brains behind all of that. So her passing is not something where I'm just going to be like, oh, my God, oh, condolences and move away. No, like I have a picture in my office of Midwin and, and girls. Like every time I look to the left now, I see her face in my mm-hmm. office. Um, so it's not going to be, oh, well, you know, we lost Midwin. Cool. Bye. No. It's going to be hard. It's going to take months. It's going to take time. Um, but I think the most important thing is that learning how to like go to get help, right? Like, you know, the, the, the leaders, like we always, believe it or not, we always need the most help. People always think we need the least amount of help because we're always helping people. But it's actually, it's actually a lie. We need the most amount of help because we need to be recharged, right? So, all week, my friends have been calling me like, Sam, I'm checking in on you. Are you okay? Usually my answer is, yeah, I'm fine. No, I'm not fine. <laughs> and it's okay to say that. I'm not fine, bro. This is hard, right? So that I can invite the help. All right, man. Well, let me give you a word of encouragement, right? Is there anything I can do to make your life a little bit easier, right? Can I take some things off of your plate, Sam, right? Hey, do you need to take the day off? Do, do, do I need to call? Should I call our, you know, the client that we're supposed to have a, a, a meeting with? Can I, can I, can I postpone that meeting for next week? Right. All things that are going to help me get better versus just saying, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Let's do that meeting. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And then in reality, I'm falling apart on the inside. And you know, I, you know how much we talk about therapy on this show. So my therapist and I have been in weekly communication. And one of the things that she said to me was everyone is different, but there's a standard in the industry that when you experience a trauma or a loss, the first six to 12 months after that event, you're going to 
to feel the acute effects of it. So looking back at the last year, most of us have experienced multiple losses. There's what we're seeing in the news, the 24-7 news feed of what's going on in the world, which we're deeply impacted by, particularly because we are Black people. So there's that. There is the news specifically around COVID. We all have been impacted in some way at this juncture by that. Mm -hmm. And all of that together, basically what she was saying to me is you have to extend grace to yourself. Mm -hmm. There's no Mm -hmm. way you're going to be able to lead in the way that you did in maybe 2019 or 2018 or just push through and implement, to your earlier point, your your, your coping mechanisms, right? Because oftentimes Mm -hmm. before, an isolated event, you may fall off the wagon and cope in unhealthy ways. At this point, it's just too much going on. Right. And the long-term negative effects of coping in a way that's unhealthy is just really significant. So right. it's something I've been ri- reminding myself that this is not a normal time. All of us are experiencing losses at a rate that is just not natural. It's not normal. And right. that may mean that there are days you do wake up and say, I'm not good. Right. I don't, I'm looking at my schedule. I'm looking at my to-do list and there's not one thing on this list. I feel that I have the energy to do. And right. under the circumstances, that is perfectly okay. That's okay. It's fine. And a lot of times we feel like we're going to disappoint, right? Like, oh my God, if I don't go, if I don't do this meeting and we don't close this deal, right? Going back to my point from before, I was like, you never know how many mouths are, are, are reliant on your support. But the caveat here is, Child, if you die, <laughs> ain't no deal. <laughs> ain't no deal at all. You know, if you have a panic attack and now we got to take you to the emergency room, now you got to get the EMS to come and get you. You're not doing the deal anyway, right? And and that was a hard thing for me that I had to realize. Like, I have to be good, right? I'm not, I'm not, I am unhelpful to anyone at 25%. 25% Sam is not helping anybody, no matter what I, no matter what I think I'm doing, I'm not doing anything. I need to be 100% Sam to really have the level of effectiveness that, that people need from me. And if you're, not, if you're not 100%, don't even bother coming. You know, don't even bother coming. Like, go get yourself together. My coach used to say that all the time. If you're not, if you're not 100%, don't practice. Don't practice here. I need you. You're 100% in this practice. If you're not 100% in practice, go, get, go, 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 go to sleep. Go take a nap. Go get yourself together. Right. Because I can't have you 25 percent of practice because whatever you're going to put here is exactly what you're going to put in the game. So I need you at 100 percent in the practice. So it's the same thing that I'm I'm starting to learn to your point. Right. Like I've been doing I went golfing yesterday and I didn't even hit I didn't hit one ball. Right. Because I have a golf injury that I'm recovering from. But I still went. Mm-hmm. I still went. I, I drove, you know, uh, the caddy. I drove everybody around. Right. I was out there. I breathed the air. I had the company. I had the guys. They laughed at me. They tried to tell me, you know, come on, Sam, just just hit this hole. No, I'm not doing it. But I was there and I enjoyed the fresh air and I was there and I understood that I needed that. You know, um, I'm going to get a massage. I'm going to get a massage today. Right. <laughs> and it's like, OK, I'm going to take two hours out of my life. Right. In the middle of a campaign. Yes. No, it's a campaign. You need to give your life to the campaign. No, no, you can't. No, I'm going to go get a massage for two hours, right? The campaign is going to continue, right? I'm going to get a massage, get me to be 100%, and then I'm going to go back to being a crazy campaign manager, 
it's it's okay. It's okay. And I think um I think those are the things that that are that getting us to understand that concept, right? I play video games. I play my Xbox every morning. I play NBA 2K21, right? <laughs> every single morning. Sometimes I'm having serious meetings with serious people and I'm playing I need that. I need to do that. I play the piano sometimes, right? I need to just get away. My phone is ringing crazy. People are looking for me. I'm playing the piano. Give me half hour. When I'm done playing my piano for half hour, I'll come and solve everybody and their mama's problems and not feeling guilty about it, you know, and, and being okay with that. And I think, I think that's the only way that we can, we can get to where we want to go. And also understanding that it's not necessarily a straight line. Like yeah. today you may wake up and say, I'm feeling extra productive. I'm about to bang out these meetings. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make dinner. And it feels like a normal day. It doesn't mean it's here to stay. Tomorrow mm-hmm. you can wake up and be like, actually, I've taken a bit yep. of a dip. And that's yep. okay. That's okay too. And, and I think for high achievers, it's really hard to accept that, like that we are yep. that fragile and mm-hmm. that our, our productivity levels can be that inconsistent, but we're living in strange, really difficult times. Yeah. And, and, and time. the, the fallout for this, for this time, I don't even want to think about what it's going to be economically, emotionally, psychologically, all of it. Um, so I've been trying to encourage, you know, all my 26ers out there to really be gentle with each other and be gentle with ourselves as well. A hundred percent. One last thing I, point I want to make on that is, especially to the Black brothers, like, it's okay to be vulnerable, guys. Like, even in jokes, right? Even in jest, it's okay to be vulnerable. Sometimes I call my friends and I'm like, yo, bro, I actually need you to, you know what I mean? I need a hug, bro. You know what I mean? And they laugh. Man, get out of here. What are you talking about? No, 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 no. I need I need to hug my brother, bro. Like, or if I see somebody and I'll give them an extra long hug, you know what I mean? And they'll push me off. Yo, get off of me, man. What the hell's wrong with you, right? <laughs> Yo, I need to feel, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's okay. Like, like it's okay to be a little bit vulnerable, right? You know, some a lot of a lot of my guys now I tell them I love you. I love you, bro. You know, and some of them are like, man, get out of here with that stuff, man. Get out of here. No, I love you. I may not see you, bro. I may not see you ever again. I need to let you know that I love you. You know what I'm saying? I love you. I care about you. Hey, I'm vulnerable right now. Yo, I'm I'm in a vulnerable place, man. I, yo, yo, I need your help. They're going to laugh. Y'all going to laugh at me, but then we're going to get to the core of what I need. Right? Get the laughter and get the jokes out. Oh, Sam is vulnerable, guys. Here we go. Here we go in the group chats. Oh, boy. Here we go. Romeo. It's fine. Crack y'all jokes on me, but then y'all going to give me what I need. And I think it's important that black men and, you know, in particular, this ain't the time to be tough, to be tough, Tony, bro. This ain't it, right? It's not the time. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to share how you're feeling. It's okay to have a conversation about feelings. Last night, um, <laughs> me and my friends went out and I was like, this is a therapy session, right? We're having drinks right now, but this is a, this is a safe space for us to talk about our problems and talk about what's happening. And I want us to be emotional. And everybody laughed, ha, 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 ha. But you know what happened at the end of the night, Lelisha? Everybody got what they had to get off their chest, off their chest, you know? So it's okay, like, to be vulnerable. It's okay to be emotional. It's okay. Men emote, too, you know? It's okay to emote, man. Find the right people to, to emote, to. So shifting gears again, I've been asking everybody these questions on this on these check-ins. When the world is back open efficiently, officially, right, we've had some semblance of normalcy in some areas returning, but we're still going through this vaccination vaccination process. When we reach herd immunity and the world opens back up in a way that we recognize, what's the first thing you're doing? Hmm. 
the first thing that I'm going to do is, hmm, that's a good question. I haven't even thought about that. I think the first thing I'm going to do is I'm probably going to find a concert to go to with hundreds of people there, right? And I'll, I'll probably be in a section where I'm not in the middle of the hundreds of people, but <laughs> I, I, I want to like, I want to see hundreds of people together enjoy a basketball game or something, enjoying life. And I want to just go there apart from them, right? <laughs> but just be in that space and to be able to see that again, you know? Uh, and to be able to experience that energy, I'm, I have a, I'm going to have a, I know I'm going to have a new appreciation, right? For watching people, hundreds of people, strangers from all over the place coming and gathering in a place, in a, whether it's church or whatever, right? Hundreds of people, strangers gathering behind one mission or one goal. And I think that's going to, I'm going to appreciate that again because COVID took that away from us. And, and there were so many events that I said I wanted to go to that I was too busy to go to. I didn't have the time. And then when they were taken away from me, I started to, you know, I lament about how, man, I wish I could have gone to a, a show in the Barclays Center or Broadway, right? Broadway, Broadway has had so many good plays and, oh yeah, I'll go next week. Or, oh yeah, I don't have time. I don't have time. Now there's no Broadway. Right now I'm lamenting like, dad, man, I remember when I went to see, you know, uh, um, when I went, when I went to see, what, what was it? Um, Hartsville or, uh, the Motown Broadway uh, musical. I forgot the name of it. How much I enjoyed it. And it was such a good time. You know, and I remember saying, I want to go see something else. And I never went to see it. So I think the first thing I'm going to do is go to one of those, whether it's Broadway, most likely church, right? Because I'm a church boy. So it's probably going to be church or something where I can appreciate, you know, having the, you know, the opportunity to be amongst people uh, behind one mission. Yeah, I've been saying that while I miss concerts quite a bit, I was crowd averse before this. So I'm probably going to be like all VIP, everything, all Skybox, everything uh, once we, we return to normal. Absolutely. And I think I'm going to try. I'm going to go to Haiti. I haven't, I haven't been able to go this year and last year, right, which is, which is a first, right? I usually go three to five times a year because of the school we have over there. So I think that's going to be one of the first things I do, get on a plane and, and go over to Haiti. So where can people find you online? People can find me at Senator Pierre, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, you know, uh, Samuel and Pierre. Uh, if people still use Facebook, um, you know, I'm Senator Pierre at Facebook, LinkedIn, or they can uh, email me at Sam, S-A-M at S-M-P-G-C-S dot com. They can email me there. Uh, and I'm pretty good with emails. Um, you know, if anyone has any questions, concerns, uh, if they want to refer clients to me or if they just want someone to talk to, you know, uh, feel free to reach out. Well, Sam, always a good conversation where we link. So I appreciate you making a return to the show and filling us in on everything you've been juggling. Absolutely. Uh, Delisha, thank you for the opportunity. I now understand that it's very hard to get on the show. There's like, you know, you have to go through a, a, a very arduous process and your managers have to be called producers all that good stuff i'm happy that you didn't put me through that um and i'm just so happy to be a part of part of what you got going on listen it's not us now we've got like people's assistants and pr folks <laughs> calling us i'm like okay now 
you know, we've got to go through this whole preliminary process. We have our vetting, but then they want to vet us. I'm like, all right, I guess, you know, this right. is what it means to be a media outlet. But hey, right, we're, we're, right, we right. appreciate the growth and we're excited about where, where we're going. We're excited about how we're all moving forward as a community. We consider our 26er family to be just that family. So to watch us all grow and thrive and expand together and watch visions manifest has been something that's been a bright spot in spite of all the darkness that we're living through. So anytime we get to actually talk about how people are walking out, the things they may have expressed to us two years ago or a year ago, or say, hey, I got this idea. And now we're seeing that idea actually come to life. It's been amazing and, and really something that I'm proud of that we, you know, when we're all at the pinnacle of success, whatever that looks like, we can look back on these years and say, remember when we were still in the trenches in a lot of ways? Right, so right. Um, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to the skybox days, right? They That's might right. come sooner That's rather right. than later now because we're too right. proud. That's but right. um, I'm looking forward to breaking bread in some really exotic places. So you'll be on that yep. guest list too. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Again, this is great. Um, I encourage everyone to come out and, and watch you guys and learn from, from the uh, from the guests and the tidbits and the gems that they share. So thank you again for having me. And to our listeners, you know what to do. If you've enjoyed this episode, tell somebody about it, like, share, comment, subscribe. Also, if you have people that you know we should be talking to, we take those suggestions. Hit us up on December26er.com or on all social media handles. We're December 26er, that's 26ER. Let us know. We will be getting back to new interviews with new guests very soon. We appreciate your support and your feedback. And last but certainly not least, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.